Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast where Los Angeles we have a negative situation that we must wrestle and struggle with problem. I think that's how the saying goes although I remember it being a lot more snappier. Alan that's how the saying goes right? That's how I remember hearing it in the movies and and I guess in, in real life unfortunately sometimes. Yeah oh you know what you know what what? The one that starts with Houston and has them as the bearers of the problem sounds a lot better. Unfortunately, we cannot <laughs> say that for your Los Angeles Lakers as they dropped game one, round one to the Houston Rockets, 112 to 97. Uh, Alan, God forbid this team would actually win a game one and make us feel a little <laughs> bit better and safer, right? But here we go again. So deja vu. Safe is boring. Safe is boring, you're right. The struggle makes the journey worth it, yada yada. Um, <laughs> I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez. Welcome to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. I mean, Alan, we haven't been to the second round of the playoffs in a long time. Uh, it's hot as hell currently in, in Southern California. But even with it being as hot as hell, I'm guessing you were more pumped than usual I was more pumped than usual. I told you off air that I kind of went through my ritual of going to uh, Tapioca Express, getting a passion fruit green tea to quench my thirst, something refreshing to kind of pull the whole day together because here it was, Lakers basketball, 6 o'clock. And for the first, like, two minutes, I was like, this is the Lakers that I know. They've been locked in. They've spent the last five days or so resting up, but also preparing 7-0, Lakers are up. 
And then, well, the rest of the game happens. And yeah, it was a struggle from there. So I just <laughs> give me your visceral thoughts and feelings going into the day. And then as you were watching this unfold into that disaster of an end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. Yeah, just give me your thoughts and feelings, Alan. This is therapy <laughs> time. When we went up 7-0, it was great. And then the next 44 minutes of the game was not great. <laughs> which is actually not true, which is crazy. Like, we were only down by a little bit in the second mm -hmm. half. But anyway, uh, my day yesterday. Yeah, dude, I had the, you know, pre-game meal, pre-game beverages, the whole thing. Uh, definitely had... I'm, like, more warmed up for Laker playoff basketball than I was to begin the Portland series. The Portland mm -hmm. series... I mean, obviously, we're all freaking out <laughs> during and after that first game. This one, I was, like, a little more settled in. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, like, this is who this team is. This is their identity. Um, I'm kind of back in the swing of things. And I actually wasn't, like, freaking out during the game because we were at arm's length throughout. And, uh, you know, when LeBron converted, well, when he had the block shot and then the, the almost and one, right? I'm like, okay, cool. Like, we're, we're turning this thing around. We'll be fine. Flip that switch. Uh, and then it just went straight to freaking hell. So, yeah, yeah dude, it was it was really, really frustrating. Um, I was watching with my brother who, he, he, like, lightly follows basketball and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're, like, watching with another human being versus... Just by yourself, I think it brings out more emotions, and you just go a little extra sure. hard and just go freaking crazier. So I, I was definitely yelling at the TV like a crazy person <laughs> about three times as much as I typically would. So yeah, dude, <laughs> it, was, it was a stupid game at the end. I was so mad. I was so annoyed, and I feel like I feel like I'm bad luck for these podcasts because. You know, I only got to uh, record one time during the Portland series just because of schedules and stuff, right? So game one was like, oh, no, the, the world is coming to an end. And then, you know, everything went well. I didn't hop on after that. And then here I am back today. like the, the world is coming to an end, Houston. Yes, yes, that's what it is. Houston, the world is ending. It's a problem. It's problematic. Uh, yeah, we got to switch that up at some point, Alan. But, yes, uh, I felt like, okay, so I know that we were at, arm's length the whole time not arm's length maybe finger's length we were only down by two Pinky uh, at finger. the end of the third quarter exactly um but i felt like even with that said after that 7-0 run i still had this feeling that houston was dictating everything dictating the tempo and then once that end of third quarter into fourth quarter hit we just everything kind of came to a head and that feeling of unease all spilled forth from me that i felt like the team had they looked, the Lakers looked lost and aimless. It seemed like we were chucking stuff at the wall to see what would stick. We didn't look like a team that had been prepping for the last five days, you know? I, I kind of believed them when they said they had one foot thinking about the Oklahoma City Thunder, one foot thinking about the Houston Rockets, but they should have known this Houston team is the microball team, you know? They talk about it so much. They're so different. They're so unique, et cetera, et cetera. And yet it seemed like... We didn't have a unique game plan for them. The things that we were talking about in terms of don't fall into that trap and bait where you just throw it into the post and uh, try and force feed it into guys and hold the ball for seven seconds and face up and just take a mid-range jump shot or take bad drives when they're packing it in the paint. The Lakers fell into all those like cliche traps. And I was so surprised because 
I've listened to at least like two or three other Lakers podcasts or NBA podcasts that have been warning against this very thing. It's like an oasis. Yeah, and it's like... <laughs> they see it there. <laughs> They're like, let's do it. But it's not there. It's not freaking I there. guess it's just that tempting, right? You can say it it's as crazy. much as you want to. You can brief for it as much as you want. But once you're actually on the court, I guess it is that tempting. But it was just... I felt like the Lakers looked like the new kid at school had to transfer and Houston was the cool jock kid who's also ASB president and showing the Lakers who runs this campus and where everything is, how everything runs. Like, that was the feeling I had. Houston had control for much of the night, regardless of whether or not we were within five points, you know, for three quarters. So it it just concerns me how this team, kind of back to the Portland game, Portland game one, but obviously this is different because this is round two, you know? You just did a gentleman sweep of the Portland Trailblazers. You did get extra rest. Granted, it has been a tumultuous last weekend with all the boycotting and, 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 you know, a lot of people passing away. So I understand that there's that element to it. But the rest of the NBA has had to deal with that as well, you know? These guys on the other well, end the have Bucks had to haven't. deal with that. <laughs> True. I mean, these are the two teams most, quote-unquote, most affected by it, right? But it just concerns me how this team continues to be so bipolar in terms of their lack of focus and just getting bored. And it it seems like if they experience any sort of lull or break in rhythm or something like that, they can't instantly (laughs) bounce back from it. Or they can't conjure up the right amount of motivation to come out like guns blazing. So it just concerns me that they can't come into this game one against the Houston Rockets, locked in, ready, fresh, and God forbid, getting off on the right foot here. Yeah, I I think for me that was the most disappointing part. We're going to talk about why this is different from Portland Game 1. And we overreacted to that that Game 1 as well. (laughs) Yeah, dude, we totally did. (laughs) It's funny looking back. It's fine. (laughs) It it is. I feel like there's no such thing as overreaction when you get to Round 2. That's just my personal philosophy because the stakes are much higher. And I just think Houston's a much different team than the Portland Trailblazers and they pose different threats. And we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, But before we do... As usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on iTunes. We are at 418, so just two away from 420. Please combat the random reviews that we're starting to get. These random political reviews, Alan, that are dissertations that span five pages long talking about anti-vaxxing, 5G, Bill Gates conspiracy theories, spamdemic. <laughs> wow, I haven't read any of those. I'm going to go educate myself later. Yeah, I'll, I'll forward you <laughs> one of those. So if you are one of those reviewers, please hesitate to do that. If you don't believe in any of that crap, please combat that type of review and give us a five-star rating and review that pertains to the Lakers. Also, please uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Tommy and I actually posted an extra 12 to 15 minute segment where we talk about a potential Victor Oladipo trade. So if you want a break from all this playoff talk, go to patreon.com, give us a buck and you'll have access to that and other exclusive content in the future. Also Thrive Fantasy, if you sign up and deposit a minimum of $20, you'll get a free $20 to play with as well. Um, Okay, let's talk about the differences between this game one against the Houston Rockets and Portland game one, Alan. I felt like against Portland, there were more obvious things to point to that we could say, oh, we just need to shoot better. You know, we played good defense. (laughs) So we we actually took Portland out of their game. They didn't shoot well like they have been. They only scored 100 points, you know. 
Um, for us, it was like, oh, sh shoot, we literally only made five threes and we just need to hit a couple more wide open shots because we got the shots we wanted. This game against the Rockets, especially considering the fact that it was a pretty much a blowout, we hit only three less threes than them. We only hit four less free throws than them, so you can't even use, like, they totally blew us out of the water from three-point land, and they got way more calls than us. They only shot four more free throws than us, you know, or made four more free throws, and we actually shot a better free throw percentage than them, which is crazy to think about. That's problematic for Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are, we're last in the, in the NBA so far in free throw percentage in the bubble, so the fact that we shot better than them is crazy. Yeah, we suck at the free shots. Yeah, so we can't even point to free throws and the three-point arc as things that we can say, oh, th this is where we went wrong. So I just feel like the default tweaks we can make that get us over the hump are a little less obvious in this game. And the disparity is a lot more, especially because we got blown out and we're down by double di digits for much of the fourth. On top of that, I feel like the guards that Houston has, there's the obvious... Houston plays micro ball. They start P.J. Tucker at center. They have Robert Covington. They don't have a seven-footer. Taking that obvious caveat out of the way, you know, I think on surface you'd see James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Eric Gordon, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and uh, Gary Trent Jr., right? Kind of approximates those three. But, one, all three of Houston's guards are much bigger than all of Portland's guards. They're also much stronger I also think they're more athletic, Damian Lillard aside. The other threat that they pose that's different from Portland is they penetrate a lot more, and they're more crafty around the rim. Not even crafty. Russell Westbrook's explosive, right? So you run them off the three-point line, and, okay, well, can you stop them from getting to the rim? And it seemed like Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon, James Harden were getting to the rim at will, getting and ones, even guys like Austin Rivers, right? With Portland, it's like, you cut them off, and you just have to cut them off at the mid-range as well, because CJ McCollum's not a finisher. Damian Lillard's not really either. Right. But you can stop him better than uh, Russell Westbrook, right? So I feel like those are the main differences, that even though we held Houston to only 14 threes and we actually closed the gap by hitting 11 of our own, we couldn't stop them whenever they'd attack the closeouts. Cal Kuzma was getting blown by by Eric Gordon a lot last night, which is kind of perplexing given how well he stopped C.J. McCollum. And then I was like, what's the differences? Oh yeah, C.J. McCollum doesn't really take it all the way, you know, and he's not as quick as a Westbrook. And apparently not as quick as Eric Gordon, but I guess you also add on top of that the fact that Eric Gordon's, you know, more muscular and has more of a body and likes to rub up against his defenders and can still finish. So... What are some of the differences that you see, whether specific or just how it felt and how the team stylistically plays from Portland Game 1 that gives you more cause for concern with this Houston Rockets team? Well, like you said, Houston superstars are much more versatile, right, than, than Portland. So one thing that I noticed is we kept, obviously, like, double-teaming James Harden, right? You got to get the ball out of his hands. And I felt like that was somewhat effective, actually, at times. Um, he did have some turnovers when AD would come rushing over to him. And then, um, you know, Harden's got to pass out of it. At times that was good. But then I noticed we were also double teaming Russell Westbrook around the three-point line. And it's yeah. like, I don't think you need to do that. <laughs> I think you let that guy take a contested mid-range shot. Even though, like, okay, yeah, he can get hot from there for sure. That's kind of his bag. But we've also seen him get extremely cold from there. Right. If you double him... 
he's going to pass to Eric Gordon, and Eric Gordon's going to be wide-ass yes. open for a three-pointer, right? And how many times did that And he was wide-ass That's ass when open. our back started breaking yesterday, right, is when we started giving that type of defensive look to Russell Westbrook. So uh, I disagreed with that strategy for sure. And yeah, like, we weren't going to do that to CJ McCollum. We're not going to double-team him 20 feet away from the basket. You know what I mean? So that was something that definitely stood out to me in terms of a difference there. And then against Portland offensively, yeah, like we weren't forcing interior passing because they have Whiteside. They have Nurkic down there. So why would you try to, uh, like you're not exploiting any kind of mismatch in terms of like a height disparity or something like that. How many turnovers yesterday did we have just trying to force the ball inside? And of course, Houston knows we're going to do that. So they're going to jump that passing lane. They're going to have really active hands on the interior. And yet we did it over and freaking over and freaking over. I get it. Like we had, I think, 17 turnovers. They had 16. So that was almost a wash right there. But points off turnovers is where they freaking killed us. We didn't take advantage of points off turnovers, even though they had 16 of them. And I think it's because we weren't pushing the ball, right? Why weren't we pushing the ball? Oh, because we got bigs. Like, eh, nah, that's that's not how we should be approaching this. We totally lost our, our identity. Um, I, I can only really think of a, a number, a handful of times when, like, you know, Rondo's pushing it. Bounce past the Caruso, Caruso layup. We got out in transition very, very sparingly. So we just got to get back to our strengths, not our literal brute strength, you know, down low. Yeah. Yeah, we got we to gotta play our style. Yeah, so something that concerned me too with regards to fast break points is that we scored 18 fast break points to Houston's 9. And our average this year is actually 18 on the fast break. But I felt like against a team like Houston, we should have been pushing it way more. That's one of our biggest advantages. And given how clunky uh, we've looked in the half court, transition points is where we gain that momentum, get into a rhythm, you know, start feeling good about ourselves. And Houston lacks the athletes that we do. And we should have been ramming this down their throats. And it felt like it took us a while to start getting that going. But yeah, the, the biggest thing that annoyed me was just the turnovers and the terrible post-entry passing. I just, yeah. I, I mean, we would pass it to JaVale McGee and then he'd easily get stripped by James Harden. The Houston Rockets are a very, very good swiping, no swiping, stealing kind of team. They don't have shot blockers, but they know how to strip you of the ball if you're sloppy. And the Lakers, on top of the fact that they were probably working off rust, just continued to make these very ill-advised passes down lower. When they drive, there was no space to make these passes, and they continue to do it. It's so frustrating, dude. It's like square peg into a circular hole kind of feeling. It's like, dude, it's not happening. And given the fact that Houston was packing the paint and Rondo was there, and we'll get into Rondo, he did not help the spacing at all. There was not... LeBron told Frank Vogel... Yeah, we need some. I need some space out there. We need space. And because of that, there was like no diversification or versatility in our offense. Like Kyle Kuzma wasn't running the baseline or running around. I mean, we barely get this on a normal game anyway. So, but given the pack paint, you pretty much had to one-on-one most guys, right? Or go off of LeBron's brilliance or Anthony Davis, triple threat position, face up and hit some jump shots, you know? And he did do that here and there. But I think this game... Uh, I just, <laughs> on the on the one hand, like defensively, right, we did some good things, but I just felt like our rotations were always like a step slow, a second or two slower than we were 
in the Portland series. Maybe you chalk that up to rust. But yeah, we gave up so many baseline threes. I feel like 10 of Houston's 14 threes all came in the baseline. And we never adjusted to that. And like you said, Eric Gordon had like three literally wide open threes. I don't know if you remember that one baseline three where we just looked at him and we're like, okay, well, you're open. And he literally took a dribble and then just shot it. And I was like... LeBron had like one (laughs) foot in the paint. And it's like, well, why would I close out on this? Because then he's going to blow by me, right? There's there's no way. So whatever, take a shot. I hated the one with Markeith Morris doubling. That was the one that Uh really freaking pissed me off. He doubled Westbrook around the free throw line. And they kind of trapped him, but Eric Gordon had, like, I don't know how many, like, square feet of space just all to himself. And he could have, like, licked his hands, you know, taken a bite of a sandwich, and then shot the three. That was the one that drove me freaking crazy. Yep, yep. So the the Lakers' defense, I mean, as evidenced by the fact that they gave up 112 points to the Houston Rockets. And also, the Rockets shot 48%. That is a good percentage. So something was off with our defense, and that's not good because our whole foundation is built on our defense, right? Yep. And our offense is very likely to sputter or go into cold stretches. So we need our defense to prop that up, and it did not do that last night. I think they're still doing the same principles. I think trapping James Harden the way that they did Damon Lillard is good, but their rotations were a lot slower and they weren't as sharp this game and I feel like we weren't rim deterrence you know as big as we are as tall as we are we didn't do a great job being able to protect the rim and that's even with JaVale McKee out there even with Dwight Howard out there so we're definitely going to need to adjust adapt to what Houston's doing especially when they blow by us when we close out for these three pointers I still think we're solid with our game plan maybe we just need to be a step quicker but yeah We'll take it to our first break, and when we return, we'll, we'll dive deeper into how the Lakers lost this game and what they can do to adjust and, uh, yeah, make some changes. All right, so we're back, and um, outside of that 7-0 lead to start, uh, after that, I never felt like the Lakers had any control. I never felt like they had this, oh, we figured out these Rockets moment, and that we were just biding time till we could turn it up a notch. If anything... I felt like we turned it down three notches once we finally got it to two points, right? Which, you know, is an interesting game plan. We got them right where we wanted them, and then, oh, here we go! (laughs) But it always seemed like we were continually trying to catch up to them, you know? I think after that 7-0 lead, we never had the lead. And if we did, it was maybe only for two points and for a very short time. Anytime it seemed like we had momentum as well, our defense would randomly break down and we'd allow like an and one layup or a baseline three, or we'd turn the ball over. Or all three of those things, right? So we could never really, like, put everything together. But most of all, I felt like we did not exert our will or identity on this team. It kind of felt like we were rudderless with no identity. Which is weird because we have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, right? And we're tall, we're big, we're stronger, we're going to impose our physicality. And none of those things seemed like they happened. We were pretty much dead even with the Rockets in terms of rebounds, right? Yeah, 41 41. rebounds. We did out-rebound them from the offensive glass 10 to 4, but P.J. Tucker had... Oh my god, freaking I think he had more offensive rebounds than any one Lakers player, which is inexcusable. Also, there were no lobs from us outside of one LeBron James to to JaVale JaVale McGee (laughs) mini lob in the third. For a tall team like us, as athletic as we are, that is inexcusable. Well, yeah, it's like, what's that indicative of, right? How stagnant were we on offense? We didn't run any kind of high-low sets. You know, there's nothing like that. Not not even a play that was kind of drawn up, right, to yes. 
just get things kicked off after a timeout or the quarter or whatever. So yeah, that that was totally um, something that was missing. What facilitates those things, like you mentioned, is is movement, space on the floor, guys hitting shots so that you can stretch Houston's defense out even a little bit, even when they're packing the paint. And, I mean, Rondo tried one out to Anthony Davis, and he got a foul at least. But outside of those two instances that I just mentioned, what were we doing the other times? We were trying to feed it into the post in that free throw line <laughs> mid-post section, right? It's just, yeah, I was going to say, and if by post you mean 18 feet away from the basket, yeah, I mean, yeah we got it in the post. <laughs> it, it was bad. No space for cutters, no movement off the ball. No free throws, right? We need to get to the free throw line more to at least put pressure on the Houston Rockets. I felt like we looked like the team that didn't have five days off to rest. Obviously, you can point to the sharpness factor that they had to play game seven, but why weren't we running faster? Why weren't we dunking? I mean, granted, LeBron James had one of the most ferocious dunks I've seen him pull off in a Lakers uniform in a while, right? That was disgusting. That was sick. (laughs) Yeah, I I lost my ish right there. Totally. Was that on Eric Gordon? Eric Gordon was trying to take the charge, Westbrook, right? Westbrook. Oh, Westbrook. He That's took a right. knee to the sternum. It was great. <laughs> uh, LeBron James had a couple of very insane athletic plays on Westbrook, including those blocks. He had that two-handed block where he pinned it to the glass pretty it. much. Loved took it. it the other way, got the and one, and I was like, here we go. When LeBron yeah. James does that double shoulder shrug, here we go. <laughs> Unfortunately, Alan, LeBron James didn't score a point in the fourth I quarter, know. so there we go. Oh, and then and then and then we'll you know we'll we'll, we'll give him props. He had the uh, volleyball spike as well in transition <laughs> that blocked it. That was so sick, dude. I was going crazy. That was on Westbrook as well. Yeah. Um, but yes, we need we need to exert our force and dominance, and I do not feel like we did that. Did you? No, hell no. <laughs> Definitely not. One of the other things that bothered me most was, like, even though AD had a great stat line, right? It was it was back to that kind of indecisive mindset for him, where he's catching the ball eighteen feet away from the basket. And he's facing up, and P.J. Tucker, you know, he's doing his happy feet thing. And AD just doesn't, like, he doesn't know what to do, right? He can't, he's not going to drive. He he could just, like, pull up right there and knock it down. But that's obviously not uh, the most efficient shot, even though he did have, like, that mid-range pretty hot against Portland. But then the other problem is, like, our team as a whole, an entire unit was also very passive, like not being very aggressive. So if he's got to pass out of that situation and there's no movement, you're forcing him to ISO. Um, So it it isn't just on Anthony Davis, but I do think he was like still guilty of just being kind of stagnant himself. And obviously, like I said, there's kind of a trickle from everywhere else there too. But it was disappointing to see him not assert himself as much. He had a few moments where he really did, you know, play big, you could say. Uh, yeah. Some offensive rebounds and ones, putbacks and things like that. But uh, I, I thought that they really did take him out of his game too. So yeah, I, I don't want to say like it's all his fault, but I did get that feeling, that same frustrating feeling, where I'm like, dude, you gotta, <laughs> you know, you you need to. I don't want to use the the four letter S word that starts with an S and ends with a T. It's not <laughs> an expletive though. I really don't want to use that, but I I had these feelings of like Pau Gasol in a way. You know, Uh where it's like, oh, come on, dude. Like, we know you can do it. We've seen you do it. Just stop being so... (laughs) Yeah. Ironically, Kobe Bryant famously said that to Dwight Howard when he was wearing a Houston Rockets jersey. And um, Mm -hmm. how the turntables. 
Black Swan. Gotta be a Black Swan. We'll exactly. say that. And, you know, I was kind of looking for that one moment or one or two moments from Anthony Davis where he'd just have that ferocious, where he'd grab the rebound from, like, three Rockets players and then jam it down, get the and one, hang on the rim a little bit for extra punctuation. That would really get us going, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and feed us, feed that momentum, but it never happened. And yeah. I feed off of that from a guy like Anthony Davis. Like, I know LeBron James had that crazy dunk. I know he had that, those spectacular blocks, but they were kind of, like, too far apart to really call up something you know tangible that you can feel so i was also looking for that from our big man the 611 dude who's versatile and strong so i totally feel you there let's talk about rondo really quick because this was a huge new element alan that i feel like (laughs) 24 minutes worth (laughs) 24 minutes the third highest on the team for a guy that hasn't played for six months but are we that surprised Really? Are we that surprised? <laughs> I knew they were going to play him. I didn't know they were going to play him the third most minutes on the uh, team. We should have done an over. We should have done an over under for Rondo minutes. <laughs> we we should have. And look, granted, Rondo, I think his first few minutes in the first half, he did play yeah. pretty well. He was pushing the pace. He got Anthony Davis free throws at the line. He hit Alex Caruso for a nice cut and a layup. He even got the rebound himself, took it coast to coast, hit that layup. Uh, You called it. You texted us. You said he was good. Yeah. And then, okay, but this is the thing with Rondo, as with guys like Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith, right? You have to have this quit while we're ahead mentality, you know? You have to have a short leash on these guys, especially because they're so— Walk away. (laughs) Stop betting on it. (laughs) They are so uh, defective defensively that you never know when this is going to go on a downturn for us immediately, and that's exactly what happened in the second half. And Frank Vogel, I'm beginning to lose—I mean— I had these feelings and inklings when we started this bubble seating season because I was like, what are these rotations that he's throwing out there? Why is Frank Vogel continuing to say that we're still experimenting eight games into our eight regular season games? Well, we're back to experimenting in the second round. (laughs) We're back to experimenting with no real aim or vision in mind. It seems like we're throwing these rotations and lineups together again for the first time. And the fact that we have to adapt to 24 minutes... And it's not just like you're throwing Kyle Korver in for 24 minutes and you know he's going to space the floor for you and that's it, right? Rondo plays a huge role when he's out there. Yep. And so you're going to hit big or, or miss big, and most of the time you're going to swing and miss with Rondo because he doesn't provide anything on the defensive end and actually breaks apart your great defensive scheme that you've worked so long and hard to perfect and implement, right? You know what else Rondo does? Rondo allows Houston's defense to just run away from him anytime he's by the three-point line and double anyone who has the freaking ball. That's yes. what Rondo also helps with. And the worst part is he relegates Kuzma back to being into being a floater on offense because Kuzma doesn't have the ball to, to find a rhythm. Rondo doesn't do a good enough job finding him on three-point shots or even just cutting, although he did have that one layup in the fourth quarter, which was our first bucket in like five minutes. But Rondo really hurts Kuzma. And Kuzma, I feel like, already wasn't getting plays run for him. And so now I'm just scared about what's going to become of Kuzma from here on out, you know? Because Kuzma's a rhythm player. He says it so many times. I need, I need touches. I need feel for the ball. And when you give it to Rondo, it's just like, okay, pretty much Kuzma, I just hope you can hit your three-point shots the, the one time out of every six possessions that you get the ball at the three-point line, you know? 
So, yeah, what are your thoughts on Rondo and having to adjust to a guy like this, a a huge influential guy at this stage in the playoffs? I knew it was going to happen eventually. I didn't know it was going to come at this time. And I didn't think Frank was going to be as stubborn. I think I would have set the over under for minutes at like 21 going into it. So obviously he, he blew past that threshold but um i think the play that stood out to me most and it wasn't anything again that rondo was necessarily doing he was in the corner for a three and eric gordon just completely abandoned him right as his assignment and uh anthony davis got stripped and it got turned over now at first you watch and you're like ah like anthony davis like another turnover in the post this sucks um you gotta be like more aware because ad sometimes does I feel like he catches the ball and he's kind of thinking, like, what do I do next? What do I do next? Right? Especially because he's not great at passing out of double teams. Um, Mm -hmm. But he didn't know Eric Gordon was there, like, at all. And he he had a really clean strip. But the only reason that happened is because you have Rondo out there who you don't have to guard at all. Mm -hmm. And without Rondo in the lineup at all, okay, so who else could have been out there at the moment? Caruso had, like, foul trouble throughout the game, so that was kind of an issue. But, um... Whether it's him, KCP, Danny Green, I mean, those guys, you can't leave them alone <laughs> for that short corner three. So now your spacing is improved. Pain isn't all jammed up. So that was one of those, like, straw that broke the camel's back for me just in terms of the Rondo experiment. But yeah, like you said, he started out the game, like, pretty decently. I was like, all right, cool. He, he's pushing it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, even hit an open shot. But, man, <laughs> I don't know, dude. Yeah you gotta you gotta take his minutes down and again like Crusoe did get in at first I looked at the stat line I was like damn Crusoe only has 16 minutes a lot of that was in garbage time right but Mm -hmm. I I didn't realize that he was in some foul trouble before it just didn't like hit me so hopefully that's something that'll shift things going forward that's what I'm gonna cling on to in terms of hope you know what's the the saddest part about this and why I continue to go back to those eight regular season games that we just treated as conditioning preseason for whatever reason, is the fact that we actually got Dion Waiter's decent run. He was a, a staple part of the rotation. And then we totally <laughs> obliterated that plan if it was a plan in the first place once we got into the playoffs. And now we may actually need to turn to him for some primary creation because if you're going to play Rondo out there who doesn't play any defense and you're looking for some ball handling relief for LeBron, why don't you just put Dion Waiters out there who can at least slash it into the lane and finish, you know? And that's, that's where Houston has problems. That's where they had problems with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. Isn't Dion Waiters a Dennis Schroeder-type player who puts pressure on the defense and can get his own shot, whether it's from the mid-range or driving it straight into the lane or creating it for other people? Yes, and yet LeBron James is the only player who can do that on this team, Allen. And unfortunately, it's harder for him than it is for these smaller guys. Because LeBron doesn't really have a mid-range game. And then on top of that, he's like 6'9". He's a big target. And when they pack it in the paint like that, if he tries to drive it in, he's liable to get an offensive foul. These guys like Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Deion Waiters, they're more slithery, right? They can get through the creases and whatnot. LeBron can't do that. And when he's your only guy who can dribble the ball, and then the next guy you're relying on is Rondo, who was, it, who was missing random layups when he'd get it into the lane last night. You know, chalk that up to age or rust or whatnot. Rondo can't play anymore. It's frustrating because now we may need to call Dion Waiter's number and he's not ready. He's not in a rhythm. You saw him even when in garbage time. He couldn't hit a shot. You know when he had a rhythm? During preseason. Or preseason. We, we played it like preseason. During the <laughs> eight games before playoffs. And then because you were just using that as quote-unquote experimenting and not treating it seriously, 
this is what you get, right? And so I, I hope Dion Waiters is at least ready if we do turn to him, which I hope we do, because if we're going to play defense like that, put someone out there who can actually put pressure on Houston's defense outside of just, hey, face up and take this mid-range jump shot and hope we hit our threes, you know? Yeah, totally agree. All right, Alan, really quickly to close this out, let's talk about silver linings and what the Lakers can do to improve. I think what's good is this clearly wasn't our best showing. And it's been shown that you can wear the Rockets down, wear them out, as the Oklahoma City Thunder did. And maybe it it just does take a game or two, hopefully not two for the Lakers, but it does take some time to adjust to how they like to play. You know, the Rockets were, I mean, the Thunder were down 0-2, eventually kind of found a rhythm against the Rockets, tied it up, got it to seven, so we can only hope that that's what's happening here. LeBron James said it's taken them this one game to really get a feel for how fast the Houston Rockets are and what, what they're trying to to do against them. So I'm hoping that we can adjust and adapt the way that we did against Portland, the way that we have all season. Although I have concerns with how Frank Vogel has approached this entire Orlando bubble. Also, I'm not so sure we see another fourth quarter in which LeBron doesn't score only in which yeah, LeBron doesn't score. Happen. Right. Gonna happen. Things that we can change. We just need to clean things up. A lot of our turnovers were unforced, self-inflicted. Oh, we can't sure. do that against this team. We cannot. We need to play bigger. You know, maybe we play JaVale and Dwight a little bit more minutes, but even when they were on the court, I still didn't feel comfortable. You know, like guys were still scoring on them. There's a way where we can play smaller than JaVale and Dwight and still play big because we're still bigger than the Houston Rockets when Anthony Davis plays five. We just can't play him as much with Rondo out there because it's not going to work when Rondo's out there. If we have Anthony Davis and Markeith Morris as the power forward and five, that's still hell of a lot bigger than the Houston Rockets. And I feel like anytime we had those lineups out there, we were still playing small. So yeah, any silver linings you see that can be kind of easily tweaked that bode well for us moving into game two? Well, aside from LeBron not being able to score in the fourth quarter, he had that extra spring in his step, dude. Like, when was, I haven't seen him this explosive on the defensive end in a long time. Like, chase down block is, like, one of his staple moves, right? But we saw it multiple times last night, which was crazy. And even, like, the goaltends were super exciting. So mm-hmm. um, it, it was really nice to see LeBron uh, kind of shift into that next gear on the defensive end. Other than that, I mean, Caruso did look good in his limited minutes. So hopefully he gets more run. That'll be a key for us. Danny Green had some open shots. He didn't shoot well from the field overall, but he didn't miss everything. So, like, the fact that the ball actually went in the basket from three-point range was promising. So, I, I would think, like, those guys will round into form. I, I think there was, like, some rust, right? That, that type yeah. of element here. I, for some reason, have faith that DG, the KCP, they're going to hit their open shots um, as the series goes on. So, that'll be okay. But, you know, we got to push it in transition and get those easy looks instead of really slowing things down um, as we did last night. So it's weird. Like, I'm not I'm not happy, obviously, but I feel oddly more comfortable going forward in this series than I did with Portland. Oh, and again, I, I think with Portland, it was just like, oh, my God, we haven't been in the playoffs in 30 years. So I'm freaking out over everything. Um, and because I saw how we were able to turn it around, granted Portland's a way different team, um, I'm just a little bit more settled in right now. I'm not worried that we're going to lose this series. Let me put it that way. Could we get okay. stretched out to six? Perhaps. Um, I, I don't think we're going to rail off four in a row, right? Yeah, I sure hope so, Alan. I'm bipolar like them. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I continue to hold on to the fact that this was a two-point game with three minutes left in the yeah, third totally. after Kuzma hit a three. And also, we just need to not have such a terrible run. Historically terrible, it feels like. We can't go on these 0 for 14 <laughs> runs where the other team <laughs> rattles off like that many points and we can't do anything for a stretch of five minutes. You know, those types of things. And sadly, the Lakers have shown a propensity to do this, right? This isn't an isolated incident. incident. But you just if you can eliminate that, you're in much better position, and this is more of a game in the fourth quarter. And then LeBron James can play most of the fourth quarter and, and actually hit a bucket to actually affect the outcome of the game. So we just can't have something that jarringly ridiculous happen to us again. The, one more thing that I'll add is that this Rockets team isn't too unlike the Warriors teams that LeBron James faced when he was a Cleveland Cavalier. And actually, they're worse in terms of personnel, right? But in terms of Robert Covington is like Draymond Green, James Harden is Steph Curry, the combined impact of Eric Gordon and Westbrook is kind of like Klay Thompson, P.J. Tucker is like your Andre Iguodala. And so LeBron James has felt this before. He knows how to play against a team that's dynamic like this. So hopefully we can all adjust, that all the players can independently, internally adjust. Hopefully Frank Vogel freaking fixes his rotation, plays Rondo less, maybe plays Markeith Morris more. If you want to go big and really exert our force and make them play to our style, yes, play JaVale, play Dwight more, but have them play big when they're playing. Eliminate the careless turnovers, push it into transition, get Dion Waiters some run. Yeah, I feel like everybody just needs to shake off the rust, be more focused, bring that same sort of locked-in kind of desperate mentality that they did coming into that Portland game too, and I will feel a hell of a lot better if it's a semi-blowout or we're up by double digits at some point in game two, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. It, it's going to happen, dude. It's going to happen. Okay, man. Just, just watch. I'm holding on to you for this confidence <laughs> because I am, I'm in overreaction mode. I'm so scared. This Maybe because it's like Saturday morning right now. <laughs> just woke up an hour ago and I'm kind of like, yeah, I slept it off. Which maybe is a good thing. <laughs> Alan, you know what else doesn't help, though? Is huh. the fact that the, the Clippers, who have been very shaky this entire playoffs, came out and blew out their opponents. Like, bastards. It was bad. <laughs> they destroyed the Denver Nuggets in Game 1. And granted, the Denver Nuggets aren't as good a team as the Houston Rockets are, but, you know, we our barometer is like, how are we doing against the Clippers? Oh, shit, well... This is the entire opposite. We, we pretty much got blown out, right? So that doesn't help quell my unease. But yeah, we just have to hope for better. And at least we're better than the Bucks again, Alan, who are 0-3. Oh my god. <laughs> it's a travesty for them, dude. It's crazy. Well, at least we're not the Raptors, who are 1-2 and two and maybe should be 0-3, if not for a .5 heave by OG Ananobi. So, so sick. Yeah, at least we're not in that place yet. So, Lakers, please turn it up on Sunday. Because we played one game. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Silver lining. (laughs) You're going to have to carry the the litness litness factor for this podcast I got this, bro. I got this. So, we'll hold on to that. Uh, With that said, thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at LakersLegacyPod. Please rate and review us five stars on iTunes. And looking for good, lit, litty vibes on Sunday when the Lakers will inevitably turn up. Alan, I'll catch you later. All right, dude. Stay cool. Yeah, stay cool, but the Lakers, please get hot. (laughs) (laughs) See you, dude. Later, bro. Peace. those springtime vibes all over Arizona. 
break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.